2: This is the Tom Hartman program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. A lot going on in the world, we will be getting to as we go through the program today. I want to start off talking about the billionaire's big con and where the GOP is at in America right now and how it got there and you know what this means for the future of this country. Professor Richard Wolf is going to drop by. I want to ask him, you know, the, the 30-year treasury bonds are now above 2%. What does that mean? I mean? What is the bond market? Why should we care? How does that affect our lives? And for people who want to invest, what does that mean? But I wanted to start with, you know, kind of the billionaire's big con and and the whole this whole uh, question of the Republican Party. You know, the, there's, there's, in fact, there's an op-ed, in uh, today's Financial Times uh, by Simon Cooper and it's titled, Do Republicans even want government to exist? I mean just let that question sink in for a moment. Do Republicans even want government to exist? He talks about how, you know, the, the the big news story right now is how you've got the Trump Republicans versus the establishment uh, conservative Republicans. You've got the, the uh, Jim Jordans versus the uh, uh, Liz Cheneys. And as if that's a difference. But in fact, he says, you know. Basically, the Republicans have taken Ronald Reagan's small government ideology and turned it into an anti-government position. Period. They're arguing against on a constant basis, on a continual basis, against the American form of government that was created by our founders. The you know, the idea of a democracy in a republic, a republican form of government, a system of laws a republic which is run of, by, and for the will of the people, we the people, through a democratic process of elections where the majority rules. and you know, like I've said before, you know, before the Reagan revolution, we actually saw this work. It's how in the 60s and 70s, well, from the 30s to the 70s, we got everything from Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid and unemployment insurance and workplace protections and the the Environmental Protection Agency cleaning up our air and our water and, uh, you know, food safety and drug safety and efficacy and all these things. These were all the consequences of efforts put forward by liberal Democrats, every single one of them. And every single one of them was opposed by Republicans, without exception, and they continue to. But the Republicans didn't have this. I mean, you know, they they up until the 1980s, it was more like, well, let's just go slow. Dwight, Dwight Eisenhower, Republican president from 1952 until 1961 or 53 to 60, you know, January of 53 to January of 61, um, bragged about, campaigned for re-election in 1956 on the platform of, I expanded Social Security, I expanded union membership. Now, Republicans, you know, they were still generally opposed to Social Security and union membership, but they were not talking about destroying them. They were just saying, you know, let's not let this get out of control. Well, now they're talking about destroying it. And so, you know, we had Trump, you know, who was savaging, as, as this uh, op-ed in the Financial Times says, was savaging our intelligence agencies, war veterans, and NATO, right? And the Republicans were just fine with this. They never even put together an infrastructure bill under Trump, so the piece that I wrote for medium.com, it's at tomhartman.medium.com, because every day we put a new one up, and they, and they have to do with our daily take, but back during the Eisenhower administration, you know, in the 50s and in the 60s, I mean, this, these numbers held right up through the mid-70s when we got hit with inflation shock as a result of the oil price increases from the, from the, uh, the, the Six-Day War and things like that, uh, the Arab oil embargo. But up until then, 75 percent, this was from a Pew study poll. The Pew has looked at these numbers over a 50, 60, 70-year period. And, and what they found was 75 percent of Americans, quote, trust the federal government to do what is right. Throughout the 50s, the 60s, and the 70s, or at least the early 70s. But in 2019... The last time Pew, now maybe they did it last year and they haven't published the numbers yet, but the the last time that they published numbers was 2019. And they asked, do you trust the federal government to do what is right? And only 17% of Americans said yes. Only 17%. Now, why would that be? I think this is the the direct result of a 40-year campaign kicked off by Ronald Reagan on January 20th, 1981, when he said in his inaugural address... Government is not the solution to your problems, our problem. Government is the problem. And, I mean, you know, consider, if you're, if you're a billionaire who inherited a multi-billion dollar or multi-million dollar fossil fuel empire from daddy... Which is kind of like the situation in Atlas Shrugged, you know, Ayn Rand's novel where this brother and sister who are the heroes of the book inherit this railroad from their daddy. If you don't have to pay to dispose of cancer-causing byproducts from your refineries but can just vent them in the air, you make more money. If you can cut wages and threaten your employees because they don't have a union, you make more money. If you can run a pipeline across Native American land atop major national aquifers with minimal safety oversight, you make more money. If you can hide your money from the IRS because they've had their budget slashed, you you get to keep more money. If you can get the government to cut social programs and public education and lower your taxes, you get to keep more money. So this is what's happened. I mean, we've had this 40-year war on American government. And it has caused the American people to say, you know, I don't trust government anymore because of of what Republicans have done to it. Senator John Thune, the uh, Republican from, I believe it's North Dakota... When in this hearing, uh, I believe it was this morning, it might have been yesterday afternoon, uh, they had the Costco chief too. Lindsey Graham was sparring with the, with the guy who was the head of Costco, who was saying, yeah, we should have a $15 minimum wage. And John Thune says, I started working by bussing tables at the Star family restaurant for a buck an hour and slowly moved up to Cook. The big leagues for a kid like me to earn $6 an hour. Now, that was in the 70s. $6 an hour in the 70s is $24 an hour right now. And John Thune is saying, why should we raise it to $15 an hour? Really? And in Kansas, I mean, this is a great piece over at, uh, by Christopher Reeves over at Daily Coast, Kansas Republican. Sam Brownback cut long term unemployment in Kansas dramatically. He cut it from 26 weeks to 16 weeks. In, in most blue states, it's a year. It was a half a year in Kansas. He cut it down to 16 weeks. And now you got COVID and people in Kansas are screwed. And the Republicans are running around bumping into each other and banging into walls trying to figure out what to do about it and trying to blame Democrats for this. Well, you know, those unemployment programs, those were the Democrats thing. Right. We need a $15 minimum wage. We need some good progressive uh, legislation to offer American workers a chance to get ahead we need to stimulate the economy there is just so much we need to be doing and the Republicans have just been saying no 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 we're happy being rich men in a poor country say the Republicans I'm not how about you Jeff in Fort Dodge Iowa hey Jeff what's on your mind today
3: Hi, Tom. I want to talk about the attack on democracy in Iowa here. Uh, we had the uh, thing at Washington on January 6th. We're having Iowa's today. Our legislators, uh, a Republican uh, in the Senate, are pushing through uh, voter suppression laws. Uh, one of them is surprise. that it's
2: surprise.
3: Yeah, I, uh, one of them is that if you miss voting in a general election, you will be kicked off the voting rolls. Uh, oh, really? If you, if you, uh, they're going to shorten the hours that we vote on election day till nine o'clock at night down to eight. And they're shortening up the uh, days that we can vote ahead of time. About three years ago, it was 40. Now it's going to be 20 uh... they're going after uh... the uh... postal service that if you have a mail-in ballot and it's not received on election day it will not be counted so they're doing an all-out attack on the voters and it's not like we have a large african-american uh, uh, population here or anything so i think a lot of this will hit seniors in the state of Iowa, which is, I'm sure, our biggest voting block, severely, and I would think it might even hurt their own voters. Uh, well, it, it, Republicans happened. in
2: Georgia, back back 15 years ago, Republicans in Georgia passed. The uh, you can uh, do absentee voting with no excuses. The Republicans pushed that through in Georgia because they wanted their elderly voters, who were you know largely white and largely, or at least the voting block is uh, largely uh, white Republican bloated voting block. They wanted them to be able to vote. Now they're doing the same thing that you're talking about, and and I think they're going to be shooting themselves in the foot, Jeff.
3: I would think so, too, Tom. And they're also going after Twitter and Facebook and stuff. Some years ago, they built some data centers here in Iowa. And, uh, of course, they they, uh, uh, stopped uh, Donald Trump's off Twitter and took him off his uh, Twitter feed and stuff. And they're saying now that they're going to cut uh, any tax breaks or subsidies that were given to Facebook and Twitter, unless they open it back up for uh, what they call their conservative speech. They feel it's being blocked. If I was <laughs> hey. to those guys, I, I unless would they put Trump back up on. those buildings and say, see you later and take the jobs with it.
4: Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, I And that may well be what happens. I mean, you know, that may well be what happens. That, that uh, which would be fascinating. Well, one thing so, about it, Tom, so, we're
3: not hearing a thing about this on, on our nationwide, you know, our, our main channels, ABC, NBC, Well, this is CBS. happening all across
2: the country. There there are now over 500. Just a week ago, it was 235. Now there's over 500 pieces of voter suppression legislation that have been introduced into state legislatures in um, in 31 states. Well, Actually, they've been in more than 31 states, but in 31 states, they actually have a chance of passage. Um, Jeff, do you think that you know, is it, it, real quickly, is it, is do you have a sense that these Republican voter suppression bills will actually pass in Iowa, or is this just an, a show effort?
3: It, it's going to her desk, Governor Kim Reynolds, today. Oh, really? So it's passed? Passed both House and Senate. They're both Republican-run.
2: Holy cow! Fascinating, Jeff. Thank you very much for that. I appreciate the call. Tom Harbin here with you. Just a heads up, the House is uh, revisiting the, uh, you know, we had the Senate hearings, what was it, Monday this week? Earlier this week, anyway. Um, in fact, we carried much of it live on this program where the senators were asking the head of the Capitol Police and the former head of the Capitol Police and all that kind of stuff. The big focal point, which they're not so much talking about because it's already out there and they really need to be talking to the people at the Pentagon about this. And those are the hearings that are scheduled for next week. And there will be, if this thing plays out the way I think it's going to play out, some real fireworks. Um, but at 2.28 2 p.m., there was this conference call between the Capitol Police. Uh, and, uh, you know, capital, uh, the, the then police chief, uh, Mr. Sund, and the, and the acting D.C. police chief, Robert Conti, and a senior Pentagon official, Lieutenant General Walter Platt, P-I-A-T-T, and they were begging him, send in the National Guard. And he said, well, I'll run it up the flagpole here at the Pentagon and we'll see what happens. Uh, he said, well, "Actually, he said he's going to run it up the uh, run the request up the chain of command." And they and as Sund, you know, the, the former head of the Capitol Police testified to the Senate, he said, "Almost two hours later, we still have not received authorization from the Pentagon to activate the National Guard." Conti, the uh, the uh, uh, D.C. police chief, said, "I was literally stunned," which is you know kind of amazing. But back to economics and what's going on, we, there's a, a number that the Republicans are talking about right now. Last year, 2020, wages grew at the fastest rate in the last 45 years. Now, that sounds like good news, doesn't it? Hey, wages in 2020, you know, with Donald Trump as president, wages grew faster than they have in 45 years. In fact, uh, the the median wage grew 6.9%. Well, how is that even possible? It turns out, you know, what's the old saying? You know, uh, figures don't lie, but liars can figure. Uh, Or statistics, damn statistics and whatever. Uh, It turns out that what happened was more than 80% of the roughly 10 million jobs that were lost last year as a result of the Trump, Great, the, the Trump Great Depression because of Trump's disastrous response to the COVID epidemic. Keep in mind, we on January 20th of 2020 had our first case of COVID in the United States. South Korea on January 20th had their first case in South Korea. Between then and now, South Korea got it under control. They've had a total of a few hundred deaths. Now, it's a smaller country. It's about 10% the size of the United States, um, but they have had not even you know, 1%, less, far, far fewer than 1% of the deaths that we have here in the United States. And we have a half million people dead because you know, Trump and the Republicans figured, hey, <laughs> the job of government? No, there is no job for government. Government shouldn't do anything. Biden inherited nothing with regard to a vaccine distribution plan when he came into office. And we were all wondering, you know, why is it that the Pentagon is blocking Biden from knowing what's going on? Well, I think they were covering up their role, their complicity on January 6th. Um, we, we were wondering, why is it that the, uh, that the CDC and all these other agencies are not cooperating with the Biden transition team? Well, now we know why. They had nothing going on. So anyhow, here's what happened. Here's why wages grew 6.9% last year. Because the 80% of the jobs that were lost were low-wage jobs. These were people who were, in some cases, literally making 2 and $3 an hour because they were were, uh, tipped workers and most states don't have their minimum wage for tipped workers at $7.25 an hour. There's a loophole in federal law that was put there um, back in the day specifically to hit black and brown people. Who were overwhelmingly, you know, in that in that category, uh, and and so what happened was we lost a lot of seven dollar and twenty five cent an hour jobs, and we lost a lot of two and three dollar an hour jobs, and so the median sh- shifted. The median went up six point nine percent. The average wage in the United States went up six point nine percent, simply because we lost a lot of those terrible jobs, which means. If we can pass a $15 minimum wage, and yeah, I know it takes five years to phase in, but still, if we can pass a a $15 minimum wage over the next five years, you're going to see that increase in median wages actually hold and actually grow. So while it sounds like good news, oh, you know, it's a great thing we have an increase in the median wage. It's actually kind of bad news because it means that 8 million out of the 10 million people who lost their jobs roughly uh, eight million of them were low-wage workers who, when they lose their jobs, they really get wiped out. These are not people who have large savings accounts. These are the people who are, you know at risk of being evicted and all this kind of stuff. But if we can if we can lift twenty seven million people out of poverty wages over a five year period, that just seems to me like a really good thing. Final note, and then I'll pick up your phone calls on the other side of this break. CPAC is starting uh, today, I believe. If not today, tomorrow, as I uh, mentioned before, I used to go there every year. I'm not this year, not even bothering. And uh, Judd Legum, with his popular information blog today or newsletter, is calling it a festival of lies. They are just tripling down at CPAC on Donald Trump's lies, his, lie, his, big, his big stabbed in the back, big lie. That, that Joe Biden didn't win the election when we all know he, Biden won the election by 7 million votes and won the Electoral College by the same margin that, that Trump beat Hillary Clinton by 306 votes uh, and, and, but they're, they're doubling down on a whole series of lies this is all the Republican Party has anymore if you don't believe in government and you don't support doing anything to help the people, you really find yourself in a position where you have to lie to people We'll be back.
5: You're listening to the Tom Hartman program.
2: Speaking the truth, the multinational corporations would really rather you didn't know all about. Tom Hartman with you. Pick up your calls after this. Quick math the less your business spends on operations on multiple systems on delivering your product or service, Welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you. I mentioned uh, Judd Legum's piece on CPAC, and I'll pick up your calls in just a second, but (laughs) this is just incredible. Uh, CPAC, the Conservative Political Action uh, Conference, CPAC, is uh, organized by a lobbyist. His name is Matt Schlapp. And uh, on November 8th on Fox News, Schlapp said, there are literally 9,000 people who voted in this election who don't live in Nevada. He said, Nevada is a cesspool of fake votes. It turns out, and then the Trump campaign created a list of 3,062 individuals that they claimed voted in Nevada after moving out of state. Sounds pretty bad, right? 3,000 people? Oh my God. Well, it turns out that those were almost all people who had been in the military, who, or who were, who were in the military, who had been stationed in Nevada, who were then redeployed overseas. So they were still voting in Nevada, but they were now living in Germany or in Iraq or in Afghanistan. Uh, Amy Rose, an Air Force major who uncovered some of this because she was on the list, she said it's shocking that the Trump campaign would call these military members criminals for exercising the right to vote. And that's just, you know, one of the, the many lies. But, I mean, this is, and there's, there's still, I mean, that lie, oh, there's 7,000 people who don't live in Nevada who voted in the election. That, that lie is still floating around on the right-wingosphere and will probably be, you know, repeated again at CPAC this year. This is, uh, yeah, here's Kevin McCarthy. November 5th, 2002 on Fox News. President Trump won this election, so everyone who's listening, do not be quiet. This is the day, This the, well, this is a month, bef- two months before January 6th. Do not be quiet. We cannot allow this to happen before our very eyes. Join together and let's stop this. That's Kevin McCarthy on Fox News after Trump lost the election. Senator Rick Scott Talking about the these, I mean it just it just goes on. Josh Hawley, you know, obviously we know we know the long list, right? And uh, just I'm, I've I've washed my hands of those folks. I I'm I've given up. I mean for years I thought well maybe we can have conversations, and I and I'm I'm still going to continue to have conservatives on the program whenever they are willing to come, to talk about specific issues. But featuring CPAC on the show? You know, attending? No, I I just don't think so. Anyway, John in Minneapolis. Hey, John, what's on your mind today?
1: Yeah, um, as far as protecting the vote, I think we need to get past, uh, you know, H.R. 1 and then H.R. 4. And of course, we have to get rid of the filibuster. And and that's all. What is H.R. 4? H.R. 4 has to do with the Voting Rights Act, and it will put teeth back into oh. the Voting Rights Act that was taken out. So by the that,
2: that undoes, undoes the 2013 Shelby County decision by the Supreme Court. And H.R. 1, of course, is an expansion of voting rights across the country and, and essentially a standardization. Uh, you know, not a rigid one. It's, 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 it's really rather weak, but um, it's a really good step. Uh, am I characterizing those in your opinion, John, fairly?
1: Yes, and HR one. I mean, very, very important because this is you know it's expected. This is who we're playing with. Uh, they have no respect for the rule of law, law, you know, constitution, uh, and you know they're a party. If they are a party in shambles, we need to take advantage of that shambles and you know move forward on things that people want which is, yeah. you know, the the minimum wage, uh, I would say also Medicare for all or some bill like that, uh, et cetera, et cetera. The things that free actually college education motivates.
2: and a Green yeah, New Deal. I, and I think, you know, Demo- yeah, Democrats just need to boil this down to just a couple things. John, you always say it so well. Thank you very much for the call. Joanne in Van Nuys, California. Hey, Joanne, mm-hmm. thanks for listening to us on KPFK. What's on your mind today?
7: Well, I think that we ought to reduce these salaries of the Republicans to $10 an hour, including their staff, and tell them they have to pay for the paper and print and all their expenses coming into Washington and flying and all the rest and see what it's like and tie their salary and bonus increases to the inflation index. And when the index goes up, they get the same amount as everybody else. And I know it's ridiculous about, even proposing this, but I think I just want to want to get it out there. I just want it, you know, just the comment made because these arrogant people who, yeah. you, you know, they, they don't come. Who, who do they think they are? They're supposed to represent people. And so why shouldn't they share the misery?
2: I agree. And uh, Congressman Mark Pocan, back three three years ago or thereabouts, around the time that he started doing midday's with Mark on our program, um, there was a debate about food stamps. At that point in time, you know, and, and the Democrats are trying to raise the the uh, food stamp allowance, and, and the Republicans are trying to cut it. And so he, as as I recall, I'm pretty sure it was Mark Pocan. Um, he lived on the food stamp allowance, which I think is like three dollars and twelve cents a day or something like that. It's very very low. Um, And so for a month, he or a few weeks anyway, he lived on the food stamp allowance, and it was tough going. I would take your proposal, Joanne, a step farther. I would say that what we should do is tie the salaries of members of Congress. You know, they give themselves raises periodically. And in fact, if they don't vote against it, it automatically happens. Now, I would tie those to the minimum wage, not to inflation. And that way, I think that they would start making sure that the minimum wage goes up with inflation.
7: Exactly. Thank you.
2: Good start. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you very much for the call. It's great to hear from you. John in Los Angeles. Hey, John, thanks for listening to KPFK. What's up?
8: Hey, um, the good angels over there. Uh, I want to make a quick quote, and then I'll get to my point. Machiavelli said in the 14th century that uh, if only the body had acted, we would still have uh, liberty and florence went to the autocrat you know the autocrats but anyway my my thing i want to talk about lindsey graham uh, let's start with mitch mcconnell real quickly mitch mcconnell when he first became senator roger ailes ran his campaign okay and the only mm-hmm. democratic incumbent that year lost his seat to uh to mcconnell by friv- frivolous lies the, the lies were so outrageous the guy he beat i think it was cooper but i'm not 100 percent. but anyway he was a tank gunner in world war ii a real world war ii hero okay so moving on to lindsey graham you know with the lies that he perpetuates with um you know saying you know donald trump's a traitor he can't go along with any more of this blah 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 we, we heard it on his coming out of his mouth then he's down in miami kissing the ring and the other person i wanted to bring up i'm a little flustered right now but uh mcconnell lindsey graham yeah and who oh yeah the reason i bring up lindsey graham is in his book he wrote you know when they gave him uh ron star you know right which he didn't deserve like you know who went to bat for him uh general betrayer who, who gave out information that got some of our secret people
2: uh killed you know? oh yeah that's right his affair I, I completely forgot about that John I'm sorry we're hitting the break I gotta I gotta run here but thank you for the call and uh yeah and for calling out Mitch McConnell oh welcome back yeah, Nathan in West Los Angeles hey Nathan what's up
1: hi Tom good to talk to you again. Uh, to your point about minimum wage, uh, I just wanted to put in my anecdote, which is that I own a company here in Southern California, and I, I pay no one less than $30. That's even the the lowest guys uh, just pushing road cases in and out of a truck make $30 an hour, and I manage to still do fine. I own two homes in Southern California. Um, it doesn't hurt me. <laughs> if yeah. I can do it, I don't it know why like- can't.
2: Yeah. And, 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 you know, and the Costco guy was saying something similar to that. You know, they've been paying way above minimum wage for a long time. Plus, everybody has benefits and everybody has health insurance and all these other things that, that really significantly add to the wages. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you could screw your employees and make more money or, or not. I mean, that, that is kind of the bottom line. And, and the, 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 the screw the employees crowd is, is, you know, officially the Republican Party. Um, Nathan, well, point made, get- thank you very much. Whoop, I'm sorry. Yeah, there's a, a quarter second delay here. Uh, and uh, you know, I, I heard him after I'd already pushed the button to drop him, I'm sorry. Tyrone in Harlem, hey Tyrone, what's up?
6: Hey, how you doing, Tom? Tom, Good. why do we continue to deal with these, some of these Republicans like they're honest brokers? And we understand that there's a certain segment of them that makes sure that the rich stay rich and make sure that the poor stay poor. And we we have to understand that if someone considered himself the Grim Reaper, we've got to know that we got to deal with them accordingly. And us trying to make, you know, uh, turning ourselves into pretzels to try to accommodate what they want, it's not going to yeah. be, you know, that, it's not going to work out well for us. So due to the fact that we have the Senate, the House, the White House, and we're still trying to massage them into to, going our way and like you said, you know, the, the the um the unemployment or or the um the amount that the the, the minimum wage go up, they'd fight about that when it was seven twenty five. They didn't want it to go up to that much. So they, they're gonna right. fight about that anyway. We have to learn to accept the fact that these people are gonna be against anything we wanna do and just deal with them accordingly. That's that's the way I say I don't see us you know working with them and we need to vote get the, the senate and the house we need to put more you know they, they straight up cheat to win and we got to know that we have to understand yeah. that this is what no, we up I, against. I
2: i i completely agree tyrone number one for people who don't know your reference to the grim reaper that's what mitch mcconnell called himself Absolutely. um number two this 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 morning on CNN, um, uh, Poppy Harlow, who's who, who's good. I mean, you, you want people to ask the hard questions. Um, she asked a Democratic member of Congress. Uh, well, you know, the, how, the cost of living here in New York is much higher than it is in, you know, some rural parts of America. Um, you know, shouldn't the minimum wage be, you know, lower in those rural parts of America than $15 an hour? And he gave this kind of long mumbly answer about, you know, she said, are you, are you comfortable with this? And, and, and you know, and, and the CBO and all this kind of stuff. And what he should have said was what Bernie and I were talking about yesterday on this program, which is that the minimum wage is not, an average wage. It's the no, floor that you don't fall through. And and whether you live in, in rural South Dakota or whether you live in New York City, that's just a floor that you don't fall through. That's not what the, you know, the prevailing wage in New York City is gonna be much higher than it is in Minot, South Dakota or North Dakota or wherever it is. Um, but, uh, you know, that doesn't mean that that you have to stagger the minimum wage regionally. There's, because uh, $15 an hour is still less than the minimum wa- wage was in 1968. Inflation adjusted, the 1968 minimum wage in America was doing just fine, thank you very much, in 1968. The minimum wage then was between 18 and $20 an hour in today's money. And, and, uh, you know, we just acknowledge that. Thank you very much for the call, Tyrone. Tammy in Spirit Lake, Iowa. Hey, Tammy, what's up?
0: Hi, Tom. I just wanted to piggyback on um, the caller from Fort Dodge about some of the other bad bills I was got going on. My particular state legislature is, or legislator, is pushing for the slaughterhouses to inspect themselves. We've also got a tax on our school system to the fact that our tax dollars will be even covering homeschooling and private schools. We had our voter suppression bill. Also, another one that is particularly bad is school choice. I've forgotten it already. Anyway, it's That's just okay. they're sounds all, like you've got Alec. quite a
2: collection as it is, Tammy.
0: Well, well, unfortunately, our legi- our legislature, my particular legislator, is big in Alec, and all of the bills that he are put, that he pushed comes right from Alec. So I right. did send him a note and say, "Hey, maybe you should be a lobbyist because who represents we the people?" Sounds like you know if do you do want to represent right. business or people, pick. Yeah. You know, yeah,
2: because. Alec is is, is is the product of the Coke Network. And it's nothing, you know, it's one lobbyist and legislators sit together and write these you know, put these bills together and then introduce them into state legislatures. Tammy, thank you. Thank you very much for the call and thanks for, for updating us on what's going on in Iowa. It sounds like a really grim situation. But I you know, it's it's happening in Republican controlled states all across the country. And there's about twice as many Republican-controlled legislatures and governorships as there are Democratic.
5: You're listening to Tom Hartman.
2: Welcome back on the line with us, Professor Richard Wolf, the economist, professor of economics, co-founder of DemocracyAtWork.info, author of numerous books. His most recent The Sickness is the system, when capitalism fails to save us from pandemics or itself. It's also available now as an ebook. Democracywork.info and rdwolf with two f's.com are his websites. You can tweet him at Prof profwolf, P R O F W O L F F. And Professor Wolf, welcome back. I, I'm, I'm looking at a graphic that was in the, um, I believe it was in the New York Times um, daily newsletter. You know, the, they have an economics newsletter although it might have been Axios, my printout doesn't uh, reference it and I don't recall. But in any case, it points out that back in April, the 30-year treasury bond yield was 1%. It uh, then through July and October floated up to about 1.5% and in the last month or so, it's gone, uh, in fact, actually from January 1st to today, it's gone from 1.7% to 2.75%. What the hell does that mean? Um, <laughs> does does you know? And and is our government bonds? You know, does this mean that people should be buying thirty-year treasuries because you get a two percent return? I you know I know that if you buy an exchange-traded fund of long-term bonds, as the interest rates go up, the value of the fund goes down and you lose money. Um, can you please explain to us? How, what the bond market is, how it works, and why the average person should should what the average person should know about it, and why they should care
4: Well, the bond market is basically a place where people borrow money, and what you get if you lend someone money is a piece of paper which we call a bond it 's a promise in effect to repay you at a certain date and to give you a certain interest uh, while you wait between now when you make the loan and when you collect the repayment. Uh, It is used by governments. It is used by uh, corporations. Those are the main players uh, in the bond market, uh, local, state, federal governments, foreign governments, and so on. The rising interest rate is very interesting. And the reason for it, uh, as best most of us can tell, is the expectation of people that there may well be, and that's all it is, is an expectation, that there may well be an increase in the price level going forward. I mean, we have been pumping up the money supply in this country for many years, unprecedented in the history of the United States. Uh, number one, number two, even though we 've had a repressed economy for the last year, the covid situation the the collapse of our economic system again, uh, the third time in this new century uh, we 've had a period of repressed activity because of those things that is now maybe, and again I stress maybe coming to an end if uh, the downturn in cases continues, if the new variants aren't dangerous as expected, uh, if the vaccinations proceed, you could then have an interesting combination of all of that accumulated money and a kind of post uh, crash post-COVID euphoria, in which an awful lot of people grab portions of that money, run into the market to buy everything from land and buildings to appliances, uh, housing fixtures, and all the rest. And what you see in the bond market is the desire people have to prepare for that kind of an eventuality. And what that means is if they're going to give up money for a year or two or three, they want more interest paid to them than they demanded before because of the risk of an inflationary upswing in prices uh, exists and uh the uh, fed uh, chairman powell's comments over the last couple of days in which he says he doesn't care if that happens the federal reserve is not going to step in to stop it well that makes people nervous in the bond market and they demand higher interest rates and i think that's what we're seeing no one knows whether that will continue no one knows even if it does how long it will continue but here is something we do know when interest rates go up and if the central monetary authority in this case the federal reserve does not step in uh, to prevent that which it could but it says it isn't going to then we're going to see interest rates across the board rise and that means Larger car payments, if you're buying a car on time, which most Americans do. Rising mortgage rates, which may have a bit of a depressive effect on the housing market. Uh, This is a serious possibility uh, in a way that it didn't seem to be up until recently.
2: So when interest rates go up, Uh, You know, I mean, the Republicans are already doomsaying this. They're saying, you know, this increase in the thirty-year yield in the in the federal treasury market or bond market suggests that inflation is coming. If inflation comes, we're going to have to pay more on the national debt which is the, which is these bonds. Right. And That's if we right. have to pay more on the national debt, then we can't afford to be borrowing money to stimulate the economy. And so we should cancel, you know, Biden's one point nine trillion dollar program. And quack, quack, quack. It seems to me like the easy remedy to that is, OK, fine, let's not borrow any more money. Let's just raise taxes on rich people. What am I missing here?
4: you're not missing anything what you're doing is you're adding i find i'm like you on this Tom. really it, it blows my mind as an economist it's always the case that if you're looking at the problem of raising the money to pay for what the government does you have two options one is to tax and the other one is to borrow if you don't want to borrow for good reasons then you tax and if you tax you ask the question Whom should we tax? And there, the answer is very clear. You choose between the business community and individuals, corporate tax versus personal tax. And then you organize whichever one you choose to be a tax that's flat or a tax that's progressive so the answer is we should be having these conversations that include who should pay a tax if we don't want to go into debt what the republicans do is what the rich people in this country and the corporations want them to do have this conversation as if taxing them was somehow off the table somehow not part of the conversation and they're so successful that major parts of mainstream media seem to write their articles or give their announcements as if the choice is between borrowing more or less or cutting the spending that's never been the choice that is a misrepresentation because they've left out what they fear which is a discussion of taxes, which would of course lead a rational person to say, the people who should pay the most are those who have the most and those who have gained the most in the last 30 years. And that's corporate America and the top 1% of our people. That's why they don't want that in the conversation, but you're not missing it. You're getting it exactly right.
2: Yeah, so we've got about 45 seconds here. What impact, for people who are investing for the future, uh, would inflation have? does Does that hurt stock markets? It, it seems like it depresses housing prices, but what what other impacts does it, it have? Has
4: very, very mixed effect. The immediate effect, and it's hard to predict in the future. and when people talk confidently about where it's going to go, talk to somebody else because it, the, the, that's stargazing. That's not serious uh, questions. Here's some of the effects, very quick. Number one, It hurts the stock market, which is why the stock market's been going down the last few days, because if you can make two, three, four percent in the bond market without taking risks in an economy that is very fragile, then you see stocks give way as people move into higher interest bonds. And that's one of the phenomena you have to take account of now. The Republicans don't want to talk about that, but that's a serious issue.
2: Got it. Professor Richard Wolf uh, democracywork.info, rdwolf.com. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Great, great talk. Always, I always learn something from Professor Wolf. We'll be right back. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Back with more of the news of the day. Actually, actually I've got amazing geeky science for you and your calls. Right after this.
5: You're listening to Tom Hartman.
2: Marie in Pipe Creek, Texas. Hey, Marie, thanks for watching us on Free Speech TV. What's on your mind today?
7: Hey, Tom, I wanted to make a point about the $15 minimum wage. And uh, Mm -hmm. my point is in 1974, I started out as an operating room technician, which means I assisted in surgeries. I had to know about surgical instruments and procedures. And real important, we do surgical sponge counts to make sure we don't leave anything behind in the body that shouldn't be left there. (laughs) And so I just wanted to make the point that In 1974, to do this job, they were paying me $2.94 an hour. The big, uh, yeah. I just wanted people to think about, like, if you have a loved one or a friend or somebody that you know that's going to have surgery, wouldn't you want that person to maybe be paid a little bit more? I mean, I know we're all supposed to have big hearts and be compassionate and responsible and do good jobs, but give me a break.
6: Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I think that back in the early 70s anyway, the minimum wage was around 2.30 an hour as I recall. Maybe oh my God, you know, I'd, I was I'd have to go back and look. Getting more <laughs> i think so yeah you know, I'm, I'm pretty and, sure uh, it's 230 or 235 and 70 but go ahead
7: and uh you know other people who do important jobs like home health aides or nursing assistants or people like that who are now getting you know paid the bare minimum i mean those are very important jobs even housekeeping i mean especially now that we have COVID and stuff That they, you know, have to be really on top of cleaning and sanitizing. But people ought to think about that. I think, you know, it's real important for us to wage, uh, you know, to raise the minimum wage. And that was just one point, you know, that I would think to bring up. We should uh, not
2: have have... people who are working full time. Bernie makes this point over and over again, and and he says it so eloquently. He said, in the richest country in the world, people who are working full time should not be in poverty. And the minimum wage right now is a poverty wage. And if the minimum wage goes to $15 an hour, if it was to do it tomorrow, now this is a five-year phase-in, but if it was to do it Mm -hmm. tomorrow, it would take 27 million people out of poverty. That's a big deal.
7: Yeah, I know. And I called several Republican senators yesterday just to make that point. And I Mm -hmm. just wanted to urge everybody to start calling their representatives and senators, because I don't know if they think about stuff like this. But to me, that would be something important.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I I agree. Maria, you're in Texas. Uh, How how are people there thinking of Ted Cruz now?
7: Oh, my God. Well, he was really? one of the senators I didn't call because he is just really yeah. useless as far as senators go. Lost and calls. I had a hellish week with, you know, no power, no water. It's getting better, but no, he's just not. Well, I'm, get-
2: I'm, I'm glad it's getting better, Marie. Marie, thank you so much for the call and thanks for watching us on Free Speech TV. We'll be right back. I'll tell you all about lucid dreaming after this. Stick around. Welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you. So, uh, for our geeky science segment today, you'll recall the movie, uh, Leo DiCaprio's movie, Inception, where he was getting inside people's heads while they were dreaming and and getting information. We're a little closer to that. Back in the, I think it must have been the 1970s, maybe the 1980s, there was this kind of craze uh, about lucid dreaming. Uh, There was a fellow, uh, Stephen was his first name, I forget his last name, but he wrote a book about lucid dreaming, which I read, and it was a how-to book on how to do lucid dreaming, which was amazing. I mean, I I really got into it, and for uh, the better part of a year or so, I was was doing this. And what you do, first of all, what lucid dreaming is, is where you're having a dream, and in the middle of the dream, you realize, I'm dreaming. And then you decide, well, okay, if I'm dreaming, I can take control of this dream. So I think I'll jump into the air and fly like Superman. Or I think I'll be sitting on the beach in Thailand. Or, you know, fill in the blanks, right? Do whatever you'd like because it's your dream, right? And so the way that you get to lucid dreaming, that is having the ability to be conscious of the fact that you're dreaming when you're dreaming, the way you do that, and it works, I did this. It's, the, the reason I stopped doing it is it's just a lot of effort. You have to put a lot of effort into this. But the way, the way you do this is throughout the day, you remind yourself to read things twice. Like I am looking at a box that my camera is sitting on right now. It's just a it's just holding it, and it's it's for an old Stanley drill, and it says, Stanley recharge at 15 amp. Okay. So I read that, I notice that and then I look away and then I go back and I read it again. Stanley, recharge at 15 amp. Now, if you get in the habit of doing that, you have to do it 10, 15 times a day throughout the day. Everything you look at that has words on it, look away and then look back at it. So it becomes a habit. It becomes second nature. It becomes something you just normally do. That habit will translate into your dream. So you'll be having a dream and you're looking at a newspaper in your dream or you're looking at a sign on a store and then you look away and when you look back, it'll be different in your dream. In other words, in my dream, I might look at it the, that box and it says, Stanley Recharge 15 amp. The first time I look away, I look back and now it might say, you know, Ralph's uh, Clubhouse. Literally, in your dreams, those things will change. And that's how you know that you're dreaming and not awake. So while you're awake, you know, you you get in this habit of looking at things, looking away, looking back, and kind of saying to yourself, oh, I must be awake because it hasn't changed. And that way, when you're in your dream, it changes. Well, this is just this amazing study that they did where these researchers, this is an independent team. Actually, it was four different teams that collaborated on this in France, Germany, the Netherlands, and the United States. They recruited volunteers who had had lucid dreams Uh, Typically, about about half of us have had at least once the experience of being awake during a dream. In other words, realizing we're dreaming when we're dreaming. And they ask them simple yes or no questions like, you know, what is 8 minus 6? Math question. And they ask them to signal to the people around them because they were asleep. Right? In other words, the people are dreaming. And so somebody sitting next to them as the person is dreaming says, what is 8 minus 6? What is eight minus six? What is eight minus six? The answer of course is two. And so they would say, you know, blink your eyes twice or you know, blink your eyes for the, for the answer or frown or smile. These are all things that you can control while you're dreaming. And what they found was that uh, they, out of these 185 questions that they asked to lucid dreamers, they responded correctly almost 20% of the time. And they only gave the the wrong answer 3% of the time. The rest of the time, they couldn't tell if the person was really responding or not. Um, One dreamer reported that the math problem was coming out of their car radio in their dream. They were driving down the street and they heard a voice coming out of their car radio, again, in their dream, saying, what is 8 minus 6? Another said that uh, he was at a party when he heard the researcher interrupting his dream, like a narrator in a movie, a voice out of the sky, saying, do you speak Spanish? Blink once for yes, blink twice for no. Now, where this gets really fascinating, in addition to it being a lot of fun, and I can tell you this from my personal experience, when I was doing lucid dreaming back in the back in the late 70s or in the 80s when I was really into this, my favorite thing to do when I was lucid dream was to fly. I I'm a pilot. I love to fly. And so in my dreams, I would just do Superman. I'd just jump in the air and fly around and see things, and you know, it was just it was just great. But they are now These researchers, the reason that they're doing this research, in addition to just like fascinating curiosity stuff, is they believe that this, and by the way, this is from sciencemag.org, they believe that they can use lucid dreams to deal with trauma, anxiety, and depression. They said, and I quote, sleeping conversations might also help the dreamer solve problems, learn new skills, or even come up with creative ideas. The, and one of the researchers, a fellow by the name of Dr. Barrett, says the dream is a highly associative state that may have advantages when it comes to creativity. Uh, one of the researchers, Michelle Carr at the University of Rochester, cl- a cognitive neuroscience, said she's very excu- excited about this. She said, when you're in a dream, your reporting abilities are quite limited. Uh, so you've got to figure out how to get this out. But uh, this is a world entirely fabricated of memories stored in our brain. Right? And being able to connect that world to the outside world, this is potentially as a therapeutic modality as a way of helping people resolve issues helping people resolve trauma, help, helping people resolve past problems it may well be absolutely brilliant because I mean this is this is something that we na- normally do right Nightmares, bad dreams are typically an attempt by our mind or this uh, this is widely believed this is not you know definitely true but uh, it's widely believed that these are attempts to resolve these issues to improve our own mental health. That that's part of dreaming. And if it can now, if we can do it lucidly and we can do it intentionally and we can do it with a little help from a therapist, this could be a huge, fascinating breakthrough. So, our geeky science for the day. The author of that book was Stephen Labarge, or LeBerge, however you say it. But uh, Lucid Dreaming was the book, back in the whenever it was. David in halfway Missouri. David, we only have 45 seconds. You got a quick point yeah, hi, you want to Tom. make?
5: Yeah, I used to. When I was younger, I used to uh, dream of flying all the time. I was wondering when you woke up, did you feel exhilarated like you slept really well and full of energy?
2: Yes. Yes. Yeah, I did. Yeah, uh, I lucid dreaming. It. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Me too. I still occasionally yeah, do. Also. I mean, I although I haven't, you know, it's been uh, literally 30 years since I trained myself to, yeah, to look I at signs. it time I, and for I, me,
5: but... Yeah. I also had a helicopter, I could go fly it, yeah. In your dream? I didn't see it, but I was sitting up like I like one of those little gyrocopters, yeah. It was yeah. not easy to control oh, sometimes, and it was really wild, but sometimes I could control oh, it really
2: well. That's know? interesting. Yeah, I always fun. did it like I was Superman. And then after I started yeah, I mean, scuba too, diving,
5: I used uh, to, you know, some... I would, uh, I would follow the highways and go up to
2: Kansas City and back, yeah. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Good dreams. <laughs> David, thank you. Thanks for the call. Yeah, lucid dreaming is a thing. It's a fascinating thing.
5: You're listening to Tom Hartman.
2: A special thanks to Louise Hartman, Sean Taylor, Nate Atwell, Jamie Holly, Joyce the Hammer, Nance, Nigel Peacock, Sue Nethicott, Patrick White, Geraldin Halbert, Ron Hartenbaum, Chase Spross, Nicholas Miller, Pat Sweeney, Jabbermocky, and Jay LeBlanc. All the folks who helped make this show work for you and thank you for helping, you know, helping keep us going. Be good to yourself and those around you. Get out there, get active, tag, you're it. You've been
5: listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.